Thanks to Slack for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. It's Wednesday, December 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today, investor at large, Tim Hansen. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. Are you traveling for the holidays? Are you? Um, yeah, we'll be visiting my folks who live in New York. But are, is this prior to Christmas, or is it like you have Christmas for the holiday? Yeah, at okay. their place. Yeah. All right. Um, we're gonna. Uh, we, it, there's still news. There's still news. The world never stops. The world. The business world apparently never stops. Um, we're gonna get to your awards in a little bit, which I'm very excited about. First annual. <laughs> the first annual. What are we going to call these? The Timmies. I like to hand out the first annual Timmies. Um, let's start with FedEx though, because uh, the shares of FedEx are hitting a, a new high. Second quarter profits and revenue both came in higher than expected. Daily package volume was up over last year. I'm not trying to hate on FedEx, but was there anything negative in this report? No, no, it was a great <laughs> report. I mean, you know, and, and it's to be expected. I mean, as as um, you know, physical brick and mortar retail. Declines and people are doing more and more shopping online. An obvious beneficiary is is FedEx, and it's a big time of year for them. Uh, they make a lot of money this time of year, and they reported that they were making a lot of money and expected to make more money. So um, package volumes are, are are very robust, which is not surprising. Do you? I guess two questions here. One, do you think FedEx is a bellwether stock? And two, maybe the more important question is. Do you think any stock is a bellwether stock? In the way that we traditionally think about if you want to take if you want to look at a stock and say that's a pretty good indication of how the US economy is doing, FedEx is as good a stock as any. Yeah, I think you could you could make make an argument there cuz um certainly the, the amount of shipping that they do is a, is a direct reflection of of economic activity. I think going forward though what will be interesting and, and I was actually talking about this with some of the guys on my team yesterday with regards to how how we do sector classifications right now, is um, you know right now you know the Motley Fool is very bullish on technology companies and is bearish on things that are or more bearish on things that are not technology companies. But what's interesting about the, where the world is going is that technology right now has become like a catch-all sector. I mean, Amazon is totally different from Google, which is totally different from like hardware makers and so on and so forth. So at some point in the future, and I think there are already some plans in the works to do this. I think you're going to see things like telecom go away. I mean, think about that. Telecom is now something you do on Facebook because you're using Messenger or you're, you know. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of these sectors go away and technology get broken apart into different um, subcategories or new sectors. You know, you'd have maybe consumer technology and information technology and communications technology. Who knows what they're going to end up doing? But that's just a long-winded way of saying I think as as more and more activity moves online. Um, and technology becomes more and more dominant. Things like Walmart and um, uh, FedEx, I think, are going to become less of a bellwether stock because they won't be as representative of as much economic activity as they are today. But you know, obviously, FedEx um, has a clear tie into e-commerce, and and so that's one reason why a the stock has done so well, why the business is doing well, and and why it continues to be a reflection of economic activity. I like the idea of changing the class, or I should say, updating the classifications oh, of yeah. different. Industries, in part because, at some point, what it will mean is retail just becomes retail. It's it's just it's not oh well the, let's break out their e-commerce let's break you know it's like no it's just, it's all retail yeah re- I mean retail technology so who knows what I mean like I, I mean think about energy right I mean as energy historically has been oil 
companies. Um, you know, and, and, and as renewables come into play, I mean, you can make an argument that Tesla, part of Tesla is actually an energy company, and there are going to be more companies like that in the future. So I think there's a real interesting landscape shift that's going to happen over the next decade or so. And it means it has interesting implications for things like index funds and um, portfolio allocations and so on and so forth. Uh, Stitch Fix, which is the online apparel company, issued their first earnings report as a public company. And I guess if you want to look for a silver lining, the good news is they appear to have more customers. Yes. That appears to be maybe the only silver <laughs> lining because shares are down 11% today. This company fascinates me for a number of reasons. Um, I, I, I got interested in it because. Um, when I saw it coming public, I saw a lot of things that rhymed with Blue Apron, which turned out to be a very um, productive thing to go be negative about over the last couple of, of months. Um, and, you know, online business, customer churn, high marketing costs, so on and so forth. Um, but Stitch is really fascinating for another reason. I don't know. One of the projects I work on here is building uh, algorithms that can pick stocks. And so, obviously, it's funny we have algorithms that pick stocks, and when you send them to the analysts who have to pick stocks. Never do they go. Oh, great! I'm just going to put it. You know, this is my recommendation this month or what have you. Like, there's always, you know, most of the time they don't use the advice or they go and double check it and do all the work again. Why that's relevant to Stitch Fix is that it's uh, for people who don't know. It's like an algorithmically driven um, uh, wardrobe styles uh, service. So you go in, you fill out a profile, and then every so often they send you a box of clothes that are handpicked for you or curated for you. But the way it works is that their algorithm actually matches you first with a physical person, a stylist, who then like looks at what the algorithm thinks you should get and then picks the items. And the more items you end up buying, the more data they have about, oh, these are the clothes that this person picked, and it presumably Correct. makes the algorithm smarter. And they make more money. But what's, what's curious is that so the algorithm makes these recommendations, and the stylist, generally speaking, is someone who's work getting paid by the hour. So that's one of those systems where the incentives seem all screwed up, right? Like if you're the stylist and the algorithm gives you five things and you just go, oh, great, and you check the box to send it out, you've only worked for a minute <laughs> and you've basically told the company that you don't add any value. So, I mean, as a stylist, you'd certainly, you know, you take the results, then you'd hem and haw for a while, you'd change a bunch of them, and then you'd send it out. And I think why that's relevant to Stitch Fix as an investment case is one of the reasons that they are down is that their costs were up pretty sharply, both customer acquisition costs and then also um, the cost of paying their, their talent. So I think the open question for Stitch Fix, and I don't know which side of it I land on yet, is as they grow customers, do they scale incrementally on the profits, or do they end up having to hire more people while their algorithm works together with the people? Um, it's really fascinating. It'll be a really fascinating thing to watch unfold. That is because that is um, that's a decision that yeah, it almost seems like like businesses don't hinge on a single decision, but that seems like probably the most important decision facing that management team because if they can figure out how to either and maybe it's hey, let's stop paying these people by the hour. Let's put them on a salary and let's. Let's figure out the best way to scale their talents and incentivize them uh, on volume. Because if because, and I don't know how to build an algorithm, but it, it it seems to make sense to me that the more people buy, if I if I'm a Stitch Fix customer, the more I'm buying from them, well then right there they have more data on me, so mm -hmm. presumably that gets smarter. Um, but yeah, that 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 seems like almost everything for them. Yeah, it'll be like I said. It's a little fascinating as someone who 
is interested in automation and and the interplay between humans and automation. It's going to be a it has clear bottom line implications for the company, but you can sort of see both. I mean, you know, one of the things the customers get for their twenty dollars styling fee is like a handwritten note from the stylist. I mean, that's the kind of thing you could have a computer churn out a note, but it probably doesn't make the same emotional connection. So how you know? Then the question is, how important is that emotional connection? Can they test out of it? It'll be it's it's interesting. We're going to get to Tim's awards in a minute, but first, I want to say thanks to Slack for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app, and it brings all of your team's communication together. And uh, Slack is just great. I don't remember exactly when we got Slack. I just remember life started to get better here. Here well, at the full, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. Like you know, today we just released code that now, so the the database we run, analysts have to log into it. And they used to have to have their own username and password to get in. Now they just click a button, and they use Slack to jump right in. Yeah, it, I know that it dramatically cut the internal email at our company, uh, and I know you and I planned today's episode. Basically on Slack. 100%. Um, you can also drag and drop file sharing that works with all the apps you already use, like Salesforce, Zendesk, Google Drive. You can tailor Slack to your work with over 1,000 apps and with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly. You can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. We love Slack. A couple of housekeeping notes. First, uh, the folks at Fool.com have put together a collection of some of the best stuff from our site over the past year, and they are calling it Fool.com's Recommended Reading for 2017. That's about as straightforward as it gets. So, if you want the list, you can just email industryfocus at Fool.com, and they will send it to you, industryfocus at Fool.com, for the recommended reading from Fool.com for 2017. Also, thank you to Bill Kern, who's a Stock Advisor member in Hawaii. Who sent a very thoughtful card and some fabulous treats from the Aloha State? We still have some upstairs. I need to try that. Yeah, you do, because they're fantastic. Um, you got some awards you want to hand out? The CEO of the year is always an award that comes out, and uh, yep. the CEO of Nvidia got it this year from uh, I think it was Fortune magazine. It's a worthy choice. I, so I, I went for the, for the Timmys. Is that what we're calling? The yeah, Timmys. sure. Is it with a Y or an IE? Um, I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll You've never been called Timmy in your life, I'm guessing. Uh, my mom. My mom calls me Timmy. Okay. Yeah. Usually not when she's talking to me, but when she's referring to me to other people. She'd be like, oh, Timmy just had, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, NVIDIA CEO, worthy choice. I went with Jeff Bezos, though. I thought Amazon just had a monster year. Uh, it's my son's favorite stock holding. And, <laughs> you know, and I thought, I thought what's interesting is, um, you know, the big news they made this year, or among the big news they made this year, was when they acquired Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, doubt and I think criticism at the time. You know, they don't have an integration plan, so on and so forth. And it seems like it, they're integrating it pretty well. It's exciting to see what they're going to do next. I think so, Jeff Bezos. I think you were the one who showed me the. I think it was the day after that announcement came out. Uh, uh, Bloomberg had a essentially a heat map of um, Amazon warehouses and fulfillment centers. Overlay. It's a map of the United States, and then Whole Foods locations. And like once you look at that map, you think, oh, yeah, no, that. Now I understand the acquisition a lot more. Yeah, I mean the customer overlap. You know, I think they're going to roll out a loyalty program at Whole Foods if you're a Prime member. I think there are actually there going to be a lot of uh, benefits for both sides there. And I think you know Amazon just is ubiquitous and continues to become more so. It's incredible. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, so, so uh, we're CEO of the year. We're CEO of the year um, with honorable mention to Evan Spiegel. Of Snap, who had a tough year, but remains in his job. Yes. So you know, can he couldn't win? 
That's a that's kind of a philosophical question. Like if if someone's and I haven't looked to see if anyone else is hand. I'm sure there are columnists who are handing out like worst CEO of the year, but that's I think that's a, and I'm not sure where I come down on that. Like. Yeah, if you're the worst CEO of the year and you're still in your job, I don't know. Well, I can. You, you, I'd give him the award for worst CEO who's still in his job. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so the next three are all out of a job. Okay. Uh, one honorable mention would have gotten it if he'd been CEO of a public company, Travis Kalanick, but Uber Ooh. remains private. Wow. Talk about a tough year. Yeah. And poorly, poorly handled. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and then Steve Ells, your favorite CEO. Also, now gone from Chipotle after mishandling what now seems like a never-ending crisis. Gone from the CEO, but not gone from the board. And probably still cashing checks. Still. Very, very hefty checks. So, it was a tough field, but I think the winner, <laughs> and I mentioned the company before, Matt Salzberg from Blue Apron, who led a failed IPO that just railroaded off into a ditch and then was ousted as CEO after just five months of being public. It really ha- and that's a golf that <laughs> slow clap of that. And I posted this question on Twitter. <laughs> I think Blue Apron had been public for I think it had been less than a month. Maybe it was just over a month. And I uh, and it was uh, you know uh, either some bad news. It was yet another day early in Blue Apron's public life that the stock was down double digits. And I posted the question on Twitter. And I wasn't being snarky. I'm genuinely curious about this. What is the fastest a company has gone from IPO to being gone to being no longer public? And that's either you've you've gone bankrupt, you've been you've been taken private. I don't know. Yeah, Blue. You know, somebody's going to need to fact check me on this, but I believe I believe this is a true fact. I believe that Blue Apron's best day as a public company was the day Matt Salzberg was ousted as CEO. Oh, in terms of like single day price increase, I think that's right. I think that's true. Uh, so, yes, the opposite, the inverse <laughs> Bezos goes to Matt Salzberg. The um, and then I had I had a, a quote of the year. Okay, and this is from a research paper that just came out called "The Rate of Return on Everything," which, despite its that sounds comprehensive. Which, yes, despite its sort of hefty title, is a very interesting read. And the quote of the year. I'm going to take from that, which they conclude after having looked at the rate of return on everything from 1870 to 2015 in 16 markets. They conclude, and this is going to blow your mind, that residential real estate, not stocks, has been the best performing investment of modern history. Really? Yes. Yes. It edges stocks ever so slightly, and on a risk adjusted basis, based on using standard deviation, significantly better returns. Blew my mind. My entire career has been based on the idea. That equities are the best performing investment, and they find it not to be true globally. Now, in the United States, equities did outperform, um, but when you use particularly and 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 obviously, if you are a buy to hold investor, the maintenance costs on owning equities are mu- much lower than owning real estate, and you have to rent the real estate out and so on and so forth. So it's, there's a hassle factor there. Yeah, but yeah, that 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 was a a paradigm changing insight for me. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It may, you know, it may give me the justification I need to go out and buy a beach house. <laughs> I'm still mulling that over. I think that that might work. But I thought it's a fascinating paper, and I enjoy it. Is that is that publicly available? Is that something we can? Uh, yeah, is, it is. is it's it's, it's can... on it's on the Social Science Research Network. It costs five dollars. Okay. To download, but you know, it's worth it. Five bucks. Send me the send me the. I'll do that. The site, and I'll I'll tweet it out on the Market Fuller feed. I'll do that. And then and then my last category was irony of the year. <laughs> irony of the year. 
And, and the irony of the year for me, and I hope I'm using the word irony correctly here, is that Richard Thaler of behavioral economics fame won the Nobel Prize the same year cryptocurrencies became the world's fastest growing asset class ever. I think you are using the word irony correctly there. It blows everything. It's like Richard Thaler's entire career has been ignored by cryptocurrency. Blows my mind. That, that, that was the irony of the year for me. So later today, I'm interviewing Dan Ariely sure. for Motley Fool Money this weekend, and he has a new book out. And one of the things I am going to ask him about is just, and I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions about his book. But one of the questions I'm going to ask him, which has nothing to do with his book, is about Bitcoin, because I'm just curious about like what he thinks when he sees this, and and maybe this is an overstatement to use this word, but mania. This I don't think it's an overstatement. Where we are, there's literally a coin where, called CryptoKitties, where like you mine for unique cats, and I, and it's worth, I think, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like Beanie Babies Online, using blockchain, kinda. I don't, I don't. My mind's blown. But and, congratulations for Taylor, <laughs> Dick Taylor, and, and congratulations to the Winklevoss twins. Uh, until they get hacked. Until they get hacked, or until Bitcoin is outlawed, uh, the Winklevi are, are doing well. They had a nice year. They had a good year. Tim Hansen, thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Without you, it'll be so blue. Just thinking about you.
Christmas 